When I was a boy, my dad had two favorite TV shows. Judge Judy was not one of them. <laughs> Judge Judy was about, well, I guess we're all younger than my dad. <laughs> His two favorite shows were Gunsmoke. Yeah! Everybody remember that one? Well, some of you remember that one. And Dragnet. And Joe Friday was a fixture in conversation around our house during the week. He had a saying, those of you who don't remember, and many of you will, in the interrogation of any potential witness, when that witness got off the track the least, he would politely, well, even not so politely, but firmly say to the man or the woman, we are just interested in the facts, ma'am. We are just interested in the facts. And that is how I think of the Gospel of Mark, not because I thought that up myself, but because my New Testament professor in seminary, a man from Louisiana, a great Bible scholar named O.C. Edwards, said, St. Mark is like Joe Friday. Just the facts, ma'am. And that can be a little disconcerting as you read this beautiful and albeit short gospel that we're about to undertake in what is really essentially a year-long study. And this sermon is brought to you by my sermon that I'm going to preach on Wednesday, so this is a commercial <laughs> message. We hope that you can join us and follow this week-by-week -week Bible study. We think it's going to be a good thing for you. We really do believe that, so uh, give it a try. But back to Joe Friday and the Just the Facts Gospel. Today, we are engaged in St. Mark's deliberate preview, the first 12 or 14 verses of the Gospel. We'll cover the remaining ones. This only goes up through verse 8 today. But it doesn't sound like there's much. I mean, it took, what, 36 seconds to read the Gospel? And in it, though, doing what Joe Friday would do, read between the lines, look for what is really there, and you'll find everything, almost everything, that you need to know about God's work in the gospel. What you didn't hear this morning, you will hear on Wednesday, so tune in then, following Dragnet. We can look at John the Baptist and Probably you know enough about him from other Gospels, from other sermons that you've heard over the years about John the Baptist. He's not the kind of man you want to invite to your Christmas party. He turns up every year on the second Sunday of Advent, and then we don't see any more of him for a while, which is probably good. Because, you know, prophets have this way of jolting the ordinary course of things. And there are three or four things that St. Mark tells you that are crucial to understanding what God is doing in Jesus Christ. He starts out uh, by showing us this incredible man who, as you remember, is a cousin of Jesus. They are related. They may have been boyhood friends. We don't know any of those details, but they, they knew each other. They were part of the same family. And out there in an extraordinary place, in the Judean wilderness, on the other side, on the Jordanian side of the Jordan River, John was attracting huge crowds. Now, one of the questions about an attraction from any of the prophets 
is, is this a true prophet or a false prophet? How do we know? How do we know that a prophecy is coming from God? Well, there are some signs for that. First thing you want to look for is a prophet who actually lives the words he's talking about, who lives in a repentant life. And that's what you see with John the Baptist. Instead of living in the comfort of any urban or generally civilized setting, if you have been to the Holy Land and you've been to the Jordan Valley, you know that the terrain around the Dead Sea and the place of Jesus' baptism is about three miles at the most on the north end of the Dead Sea. It is dismal country. It is rugged. It is limestone desert. When Terry and I had the privilege of driving there a couple of years ago, we drove in from uh, Jordan, from Petra, and I've never seen such rugged rock foundations with nothing growing on them. And then you go down to the lowest point on earth. You talk about a place of humility and of extraordinary penitential living. That's the place to go. And yet, his words drew huge crowds. He was the in thing. And people would travel from Jerusalem, not right next door by any means, a hard journey by foot to cross the Judean side of that desert and go to where he was. And once they got there, what did they see? Well, they saw a man who was dressed like nothing fancy at all. But the, another of these Joe Friday clues, he's wearing camel's hair and with a belt girded around his waist. Anyone who saw him and was looking for an authentic prophet would know this man lives where prophets do, out in the middle of nowhere. This man dresses just like Elijah. Just like Elijah. Because camel's hair and a girded belt around his waist is how Elijah's garments are described back in the books of Kings. That's, that's coming up on authenticity. How did he eat? He ate locusts and wild honey. Locusts are one of the very few insects that the ancient law of the Jewish people permitted you to eat. You could have grasshoppers, locusts, and a couple of others, but otherwise, no bugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that idea of the chocolate-covered grasshopper that you find occasionally around the world, it, it actually has very ancient roots. But this food, the clothing, the place, all of it indicates an authentic man of repentant piety with a message. And the message itself is what's expected. This is the second point that Joe Friday would notice from the testimony of Mark. He would say, look at this. This testimony is consistent with all of the line of the prophets before. In John the Baptist's day, it had been 300 years since the voice of prophecy had sounded. The people were starving for it. And when they began to hear the call to repentance and the call to the coming of the one that they expected, the coming of the Messiah, they could recognize John the Baptist as an authentic voice of prophecy in the tradition of the great prophets of the past, just as God had promised. Now, Mark is a little sloppy. In his first verse, he says, listen to what the prophet Isaiah says. Well, it's actually he mixed a little Malachi, and he mixed a little Isaiah together, and he came up with something that is fairly original, but it's close to Isaiah. That's kind of 
how I am when I try to cite chapter and verse of the Bible. I would have been a terrible Baptist. <laughs> terrible. But there he was, speaking in the role of that expected voice in the wilderness, looking like them. And there's another problem with prophets. Sometimes prophets in religious settings become more important than the God for whom they speak. Watch out when a religion features the prophet more than the God who speaks through that prophet. Beware of that. People are suspicious of prophets who are self-centered. No such problem with John the Baptist. He speaks only the word of the Lord and with the greatest of humility explains himself by saying, after me comes one who is greater. After me comes one who will not just baptize you with water, but will absolutely drench you in the Holy Spirit. That's probably the third thing that Joe Friday would note is, this man speaks honestly and doesn't self-promote. Self-promoting prophets are a problem. And the final thing is built on that self-promoting prophecy idea where he is not that, but he always points beyond himself. In this very abbreviated, very fast style that Mark gives us, there's not much room for additional detail. Other Gospels have things like in John, you see John the Baptist actually sending his own disciples, pushing those who followed him and hung on every word and saying, no, there is the Lamb of God. You go after him. And that's absolutely what he's talking about when he says, after me comes one who is greater than I am. So those are the, those are the things. The prophet lives his lifestyle. The prophet speaks the expected truth of God, the kind that you already know in your heart and in your conscience you need to hear, and when he gives it to you, it will cut you. It will cause you to confess your sins. It will cause you to live that repentant and expectant life. And then your prophet will be humble, speaking of not even being worthy to untie the dirt and refuse-laden sandals of the Messiah, not even worthy to touch the sandals. This is why people were drawn to him, but not to him, just the person who would connect them with the real power that was yet to come. That's what we're all about here today. So Mark is warming us up. He has warmed us up for what comes next, and it's Jesus himself coming to John the Baptist. And for that, you have to tune in Wednesday. Oh, yeah. <laughs>